We're looking at Jesus in every book of the Bible, and today we're going to continue in this progression because the ultimate objective, uh, as I'm starting to understand, particularly this season of the church, is not that we inspire and dazzle people with speaking abilities, causing the church to fall in love with the speakers, but that we empower the body of Christ to a deeper level of falling in love with the Savior. And so I'm challenging everybody, turn the page, stay in the Word, keep reading your Bible. If you got started on this and you've kind of fallen off the wagon, get back on. Don't sweat it, just keep going, keep turning the page. Every day just get in the Word, journal through the Bible, Genesis through Revelation, and we're seeing each book of the Bible in this progression where Jesus is in those books. And today we're all the way into Judges. Jesus is revealed in Judges in a very unique way. He's revealed as the lawgiver, and he's revealed as the judge. So if you've not passed the books down, please do that. Take out your note cards, and I want to walk you through some things. I'm going to give you several ideas and concepts today, but more than that, I'm going to hopefully empower you to to go deeper in these ideas as we look into this. Um, The book of Judges is exactly that. It's a book of judging. The whole book is about judging the ungodliness of God's people. And so it's really a unique cycle that keeps being addressed throughout the book of Judges, that which um, probably every one of us in this room can identify with, this cycle that repeats itself. And we want God to help us to be strengthened, to move beyond the cycle and break into place of great freedom. We want to help others to do the same as well. But what you'll see as you read the book of Judges is it's a book judging sin to restore God's people. God judges sin to restore people. That's a really important phrase, especially today. God judges sin to restore people. Can everybody say that with me? God judges sin to restore people. Okay, you and I need to be clearly understanding truth according to his word, uncompromised, all those things. But our judgment is on sin, not on people. And this is the whole aspect that we see particularly in this book. The, whole, the, the, the thing God is trying to do is reach the people, restore the people. And the, it's just this constant cycle of God reaching in and trying to do something to pull them out. And, and I, just pull, I just make the statement again, uh, it's not our job to change people. It's our job to love people. Our responsibility is to love people, not to change them. So as we continue to love, then we trust God's kingdom will be exposed in wonderful ways. So uh, interestingly enough, Judges is a unique beginning of a book. We just finished Jesus and Joshua, and we saw in the progression of this how God raised up Moses to do great things, and God raised up Joshua to do great things. And uh, something uniquely, starkly contrasting between these two guys in the Bible and the conclusion of their ministry. Moses' ministry concludes by releasing the next generation, Joshua, to go and do great things. Joshua's ministry concludes by releasing the next generation, who? Silence abounds because there is no one. And this is a unique contrast between Moses and Joshua in Scripture, and it really kind of opens the doorway for us. Last week on Father's Day, 
as the older men commission the younger men, and we declare the next generation men of God will rise up and be everything God's called them to be. And then the younger men turned and commissioned the older men, and uh, that we would be strong in the Lord in, in all generations. It was a wonderful declaration out of the book of Joshua as we saw Moses com uh, commissioning Joshua. I made the statement, and if you'll write it in your first blank, one generation cannot effectively disciple itself. One generation cannot effectively disciple itself. You and I need to be looking for the next generation that we're imparting to, but equally important, please hear this. All of us need to be looking to the previous generation that has something to impart to us. One generation cannot effectively disciple itself. I need to pull down some of the blessing of people who've gone before me that I'll be strengthened and enlarged and enriched in my life so that I have more to provide to the next generation. And each generation should go further than the generation before when we do this thing right. And here's the problem that we see as the book of Judges begins after Joshua has raised up no one. In Judges chapter 2, verses 8 and 10, Joshua died at the age of 110, and after that, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. One of the saddest portions of Scripture in all of the Bible. Nobody knew God in this next, uh, an, an entire generation rose up. They did not know God. So, uh, my challenge today, and, and I just want to invite you to consider this, because these are days that you and I need to be 110% devoted to the call of God on our lives, surrendered completely to Jesus. David said it this way in Psalms 102.18, that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord, that a people yet to be born may praise the Lord. Let me just ask this question today, and I challenge every one of us, let this sink in. What are you and I doing to serve the Lord so wholeheartedly that a generation yet to be born will be inspired by our faith and be awakened by our call and arise as a mighty generation to attack and to move forward and push back the gates of hell to our nation? What are you and I doing that will make an unborn generation praise their God? Because if we're just kind of biding time and enjoying our entertainment central culture, and, and yeah, reading the Bible, that's good, Pastor, and I'll get around to it when I can, and I'm real casual about church, and I'm not really engaged or involved in really pressing in and being the man of God or the woman of God that he's designed or called or drawn me into be, if that's where we are, then we're not raising up a generation that will be on fire for God. And may we raise up a mighty generation to follow us. So this pattern that we see in Judges that God's constantly dealing with is the result of a vacuum where there's no leadership or impartation or mighty men and women being raised up by next generation uh, to serve the next generation. And this, this is the pattern that's all too common in all of our lives. I think you'll agree with me. Each of us and all of us can say, God help us all in this. But this is the pattern that we see in the book of Judges, and, and it just keeps repeating over and over. First, it's disobedience. How many of you have disobeyed before? Can I just see? How many have disobeyed a lot before? Can I just see? Okay, disobedience. And then after disobedience, we find consequences. There are consequences for our disobedience. When we make bad choices, 
We live with bad consequences. And so you see disobedience, and then you see consequences, and then you see repentance. After I'm smacked in the head by the consequences of my poor decisions, then I wake up to the fact I shouldn't have done that. See, there are two ways we learn the principles of God. We learn by instruction, or we learn by correction. How many of you in this room are thick-headed, and you tend to have to learn by correction more than learning by... You have to make your own mistakes and then say, oh, I shouldn't have done that, right? That's me. I mean, I have had to learn so many things by correction, but you can learn by instruction if you'll listen up front. So this is the process, disobedience, consequence, repentance, and restoration. Disobedience, consequence, repentance, and restoration. The book of Judges has this cycle over and over and over again. Disobedience, consequence, repentance and then restoration and every time what what we see when we study this book is these all these judges are introduced and every single time mark it down circle it in your Bible when you're reading the book of judges every time a new judge is about to be introduced this is the phrase you will read then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and as soon as you read in the book of Judges, then the sons of Israel do evil in the sight of the Lord, then you know a new judge is about to come on the scene. God, we see Deborah. God uses Deborah to break the Israelites free from the Canaanites. God uses Gideon to break the Israelites free from the Midianites. God uses Samson to break the Israelites free from the Philistines. And the other judges and their assignments I've posted for you on the blog, destinychristian.com. You can go there and study this in a little further, a little deeper. But, but this is where I want to land today. I want to talk specifically with you just a little bit about Gideon and about Samson and hopefully inspire you and empower you to grow a little deeper in the Word as you study this out for yourself. So I really believe today God wants to strengthen us to conquer on new levels. Today. In your life, God wants to strengthen you to conquer on new levels. Previous faith for new levels will stress you out. How many of you want to go next level? Are you ready? Want to go where? I, I've learned this about God. He doesn't take us there and then build our faith for the level to which He took us. He builds our faith and prepares us so that when we get to that next level, we're not destroyed. So we need to allow God to build our faith where we are and not just say, well, I just don't know how that can work. Listen, faith makes things possible, not easy. <laughs> faith doesn't make things easy. Faith makes things possible. And you start to see the invisible, you start to do the impossible. But until you see the invisible, you can't do the impossible because impossible is impossible. But if you put that apostrophe in the right place, impossible suddenly turns to impossible, and you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I believe today we need to rise up with a new attitude of faith and declaration. So here's the thing, and we all need to, to get this. God doesn't see us the way we see us. And I want to help you see that today with, with greater clarity. You know, you and I are very in touch with our dysfunction. Anybody here, you feel like your family put the funk in dysfunction. And so you and I are really in touch with our uh, dysfunction. And I love to ask when I'm speaking different places, we've heard it here a lot, but I love to ask this, how many of you have an embarrassing family member? Can I just see... You have an embarrassing family member. If you're not raising your hand, maybe you are the embarrassing family member. So, funk, I mean, we're, we're like in touch with our dysfunction. But interestingly enough, God is not in touch with our dysfunction so much as he's in touch with our destiny. When God looks at you, 
He's in touch with your destiny. I just feel, uh, I don't ever want to embarrass, but I just feel compelled to declare over you, Heather Shiflet, that there's destiny unfolding and unlocking and enlarging in your life. And God's more in touch with destiny in your life than what you've seen and what you have known. And I believe this next season for you is a broadening of the path and an aggressive place for you as a woman of God and you're a voice to the kingdom of God and you're a voice to the body of Christ and the anointing to teach and the anointing to train and the anointing to mentor and the anointing to disciple rests upon you to be released in the lives of other people. God is not in touch with whatever dysfunction may exist in all of our lives. He's in touch with our destiny. There are things that he wants us to see that he sees. And when we begin to see what he sees, then we begin to say what he says. The first thing that happens when a child is not speaking right is they examine the child's, not his tongue, not their lips, not their throat, When they're not speaking correctly, the first thing they examine, their ears. Because if you're not hearing correctly, you cannot be speaking correctly. And I believe the church today needs to examine her ears. Because faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And when we're turning the page, and we're pressing in, and we're in a place of prayer, and we're surrounding ourselves with people that will rise up and make bold declarations of truth in our lives, we're hearing correctly. And then we begin to speak correctly. We tend to be more in touch with our dysfunction. God is in touch with our destiny. And this is where Gideon is, utterly connected, utterly blinded by his dysfunction. He's hiding from the Midianites. The Midianites, by the way, were a very torturous, terrible people. If I were speaking at a youth conference today, I would talk about some of those torture methods just because it would be so exciting for the youth, but I won't. I'll spare you. It's terrible, torturous stuff that the Midianites did. None of us can blame Gideon when we understand why he was so fearful of the Midianites, and that's exactly where he is. He's hiding. He's cowering. He's afraid. He can't believe the oppression that's happened to his people. Where is our God? That's his whole attitude. And we pick up here in Judges chapter 6, verse 12 and 13, hiding, cowering Gideon. And when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. (laughs) The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. In verse 13, the first thing Gideon does is put a big butt right there in his face. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Now, there's a lot in here that gives me hope, but how many of you know, even when God gives you direction to step out in an attitude of faith, the first thing that we tend to do is give him every excuse and every reason why we can't get there. And I just want to say, that's because we're in touch with our dysfunction. He's in touch with our destiny. We're, we're inclined to identify with our dysfunction. We are designed by God to identify with our destiny. May we rise up in a place, in an attitude of faith, and become the people that he sees us to be and is calling us to be. He sees us with the eyes of faith. You hiding little coward. That's not what he said. Oh, mighty warrior. That's what he said. Now, this helps me a lot because number one, he was a hiding coward, yet he was a mighty warrior in the eyes of God. Number two, he was the least of his family. When you study this out, you'll find out he was the pipsqueak of this tiny family. And this family, they were the smallest family in the clan. And the clan was kind of the groups together in the tribes. Guess what? Not only was he the smallest in his family, not only was his family the smallest in the clan, but his clan was the smallest in the tribe. He's like the pipsqueak of all pipsqueaks. And not only that, but he 
his tribe was the smallest tribe of all the tribes. Do you get me? Smallest kid in the family, smallest family in the clan, smallest clan in the tribe, smallest tribe in all the tribes. And God goes past all these seemingly potentials and he gets to the weakest of the weakest cowering in the corner and he calls something out of him that nobody can see thank God he sees something in all of us that not even we can see and nobody can see Almighty warrior mighty warrior but his circumstances was holding his faith hostage this all gives me such hope because what did he say he replied, what? If God is with us, why am I going through what I'm going through? How many of you are there right now in your life? If God is with me, I, I'm asking that question and, and would like for you to respond. Just hold your hand up if that's you. If God is with me, why am I walking through whatever it is I'm walking through? That's a lot of us. Why? It's a legitimate question. But in the midst of it, God's saying, I'm drawing you past the confinement of your limitation. As long as your faith is held captive by your circumstances, you'll always live a life of confinement. And God's drawing us beyond that, taking us past that. Judges 6, verse 14, and the Lord said to him, incredible statement, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Go in the strength you have. What strength did he have? He was a coward, a pipsqueak. He had no resources to do what God was asking him to do. Go in the strength you have. You know what strength he had? He had a word from God. You're a mighty warrior, go. You're a mighty warrior, you can do this. You're a mighty warrior, hear the word of the Lord today. All you need is the word from God. If you'll get a word from God, if you'll have it established in your heart, positioned in your life, Go in the strength you have. The only strength you need to do the impossible in your circumstance, in your situation, is a word from God rising up on the inside of you. And that attitude then begins to produce almost a sense of defiance that says, I will not be stopped. I will not be shaken. I will not be kept from all God has in store. Somebody shout and declare, we're going there. We're going there. This is the attitude we must have. This attitude doesn't come because I preach you into it. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're celebrating. I'm glad you're shouting. I'm glad we're together. But this does not come by preaching alone. This comes by you praying your way into a deeper place with God. This comes by you having a personal relationship with God and getting into the Word and, and studying deeper to embrace His nature more effectively. This comes by our continually, perpetually being devoted to gathering together that we will worship this King. And it's not an issue of preference. It's an issue of conviction. You can sing whatever song you want, whether I like the song or whether I don't like the song. It's irrelevant. I love the King, and I'm going to make a sound and I'm going to make a shout and I'm going to declare to God Almighty that he is worthy to be praised and I will not let the rocks cry out. I think I'm going to preach today. So the only strength he had was the strength that came from the word of God. By the way, another element of your faith that's an important component and I encourage you in this. Tonight we're going to do water baptism. It's going to be a very special time as everybody gathers in, and uh, tonight's a big fireworks thing at dark. We've got 
bands, we've got food trucks, it's going to be awesome. We've got drones that are going to be flying overhead, taking videos. Uh, it's going to be an incredible, incredible evening together. And at 7 p.m., everybody say 7 o'clock. At 7 o'clock, we're asking all those who want to be baptized just to come into the lobby so we can have a conversation, and we'll go from there and make our way into uh, the dunking station. It'll be great. Actually, we do have a dunk tank, but we're going to actually have a baptismal tank too, and uh, we're going to share Jesus as we make our bold declarations. We're moving forward in our faith and our relationship with God, just another element uh, that's an important part of all God's calling us to. Let's move on from Gideon, and let's just talk about Samson in our remaining time together. Samson is an interesting character, and I'm Again, when you go back and you read this about Gideon, a few things that I've shared with you will maybe strike a chord, but you'll learn all kinds of deep truths about uh, what God's revealing through Gideon. But Samson, he's, uh, he's something else. He's a really interesting character. And uh, what we read is the introduction of Samson. What's the introduction for a judge coming? Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, Judges 13.1. It's the cycle. It's the constant cycle in the book of Judges. And so that's where we pick up in Judges 13. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. In walks Samson. And, and what we're going to do is read this next portion of Scripture. And I just want to point something out before we get there, and it's your blank. You'll, you'll fill this in for me today. But Samson's first recorded words, you know, the first that we see in Scripture, the first time somebody's revealed, the first thing somebody says, uh, it, it, it reveals something about them. It's just the nature of Scripture. And, and the first words that Samson said, interestingly enough, his first words, I saw a woman. <laughs> Samson's first words, I saw a woman. So... That's our introduction to Samson, and kind of we know a little bit of the story here. Uh, so we'll progress into Judges chapter 14, verses 1 and following. Samson came back from Timnah and told his father and mother, here's his first words spoken, I saw a woman, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me as a wife. In verse Three, then his father and mother counseled him against this. That's what they were doing. His father and mother said, Is there no woman among all our people that you could go, that you have to go take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. So first it's, I saw a woman, then get her for me, and she looks good to me. Samson is having a conversation that's telling us something about what's going on in his heart. I mean, you know, people, they start dating and they immediately get married and they don't even know each other. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, say it with me, the mouth speaks or delivers the mail. Okay, if you listen long enough, you will read the mail. Take the time to read the mail. Don't bypass the delivery of the mail. Listen to the statements being made. Listen to the conversation being had. Take some time to build a relationship according to kingdom principles and not just worldly standards. And so here we see this with Samson. It was crazy. I saw a woman. She looked good to me. Here's the thing. His parents tried to caution him. Your next blank. The absence of counsel will produce the abundance of problems in your life. The absence of counsel will produce the abundance of problems in your life. So I want to just continue here and pick up. He said, I saw a woman, 
get her for me, she looks good. And then verse 7 of Judges 14, he went down to talk with the woman and he liked her. Okay, this is a really interesting progression. Just a little side note here. This is kind of what, when we do our family devotions, this would kind of be what I would do. I would take it and we read for information and then we talk about what we're getting out of the information. We want to understand the biblical information and then we want to bring some personal application. What did you get out of that text of scripture? This is the type of thing I would share. He saw her, she looked good, he talked to her, and he liked her. This is the progression. He saw her, she looked good, he talked to her, and he liked her. Here's the thing. This is the typical progression of surface relationships based on physical appearance and initial impressions. Do you hear what I'm saying today? This is very typical in our world today. I know there's some people in the room and you think you've got it figured out. You saw Fifty Shades of Grey and man, it really, you really understand relationships now. Let me just tell you, the world system of relationships will mess you up. And this is exactly what's being revealed in Samson's progression. He saw her, she looked good, he talked to her, and he liked her. This is the typical progression of the surface-level relationships based on physical appearance and initial impressions. I understand she may be fine. I understand he may be hot. Will he make a good father? Will he tell the kids stories out of the Bible? Will he tuck the kids in at night? Will she make a good mother? Will she make a good grandmother that the kids can look to and see stability of the Lord Jesus Christ that's established in her life? Those are the weightier issues that you and I need to all be evaluating in all of our lives. So Samson, just progressing along here, only have another hour and a half. Samson judged Israel for 20 years. What do you think Samson's greatest challenge was? Sexual sin. He constantly struggled. We, we read about Samson with prostitutes. We read about Samson, he liked her, she looked good. He, I mean, constantly, this was his battle, this was his issue in his life. And he judged Israel for 20 years, obviously struggling sexually the entire time. And then we find him with his head in the lap of Delilah in Judges 16. And just so you know the story, I'll give you the recap version and, and point something out about this. Uh, the first thing, that she, she pesters him. I loved it when I was reading the book, The Judges in Preparation. He'd been pestered by women before, okay? This is just the famous pestering in his life. But if you look, he was needled by women who, who manipulated him into telling them things. And it was also part of the history of his life. And he just flat out dumb. I don't think he's the sharpest tool in the shed because he just told them stuff. And, and, and so here, here's this progression. His head's on the lap and Delilah's saying, Samson, Samson, tell me the secret to your strength. I just want to know. And the Bible says she needled him and she hounded him and she kept it until finally he said, fine, okay, I'll tell you. And the first thing he said, if I'm bound with seven fresh cords not dried. How many know that's not true? But even though it wasn't true, she tried it. What he told her, she did. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he jumped up and it didn't work. And she said, you made sport of me. You lied to me. Tell me really. And the second thing that he says, if you tie me up, okay, okay, okay. I said that, but okay. And I'm going to tell you, if you tie me up with new ropes, then I'll lose my strength. And what does she do? 
She does what he said, and she ties him up, and she says, Samson, the Philistines, they're upon you. And he jumps up, and she says, you lied to me. You made sport of me. Tell me, tell me, tell me. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> I, this whole, I mean, it's just not obvious. Okay, just, just mark it down. Sin will make you stupid. Buy me with seven fresh cords, not, not tried, lie. Tie me up with new ropes, lie. I mean, he hadn't told her anything about the truth, but the third thing he said, I want you to pay attention to this, the third thing he said, weave seven braids of my... Hmm. How many know he didn't start talking about his hair? That was too close to the reality of what was really going on. He got there over the course of time. Sin doesn't make you stupid all at once. Sin makes you stupid in progression. There are levels of stupidity that begin to exist until you are what the Bible says, darkened in your understanding. Your conscience becomes seared. It's a progression of coming to a place where you simply have absolutely, utterly lost perspective. And we all know the story. After that, he did tell her, Dumb as dirt. Did it multiple times. She did what he said every single time. And this mighty judge experienced the downfall of his life as he lost his strength. His eyes were gouged out. He lost his vision. He no longer was the judge. He lost his position. And still today, men and women of God are losing the strength, the vision that God gave them and their ruling role because of issues of sin that have progressed along in their life. Now, this is the thing. Tracy and I have had this conversation so often. Why? How many, how many of you ever saw somebody? You saw somebody, and they like went off the rails of crazy train, and you are thinking to yourself, how could you do that? Like, that is that's stupid. That's ridiculous. Have you ever thought that before? I mean, it's like you're giving up so much. Not, not just others ever done, have, have you ever thought that before? How many of you have ever done that before? And then you woke up. Can I just say, then you woke up, right? You woke up and you realized, how could I have ever thought that? I mean, that was ridiculous. This is why you might just write it down. I don't think I have the verse for you, but it's Hebrews 3.13. It's a great verse for you to go look at this week and ponder this because that particular verse speaks of how there's a hardening of our heart through the deceitfulness of sin. There's a hardening of our heart through the deceitfulness of sin. It's a progression of sin producing ignorance in our lives. And we've talked a lot about this before, but the root word of, of knowledge is light. That's why when you see the cartoon characters get a brilliant idea, brilliant, brilliance, light, light bulb comes on because the same origin exists for knowledge and light. And the same origin for ignorance is darkness. So we need knowledge and enlightenment and understanding, and we find that in the truth of God's Word. Not the verses that comfort us, not the verses that we want to focus on, but all of God's Word. Genesis to Revelation, every part of it is an important contributor that you and I might understand the very nature of God and not deviate because of personal preferences in any area of any of our lives. So here's the thing today, this cycle that keeps happening in the book of Judges. Over and over and over and over. I want to ask you, your action point, 
is my challenge to you. I want to ask you this week, invite someone into a specific area of your life that's been a struggle. How many of you have a specific, how many of you know God's talking to you about an area in your life that needs to be addressed? Let me rephrase it this way. How many of you know right now God is addressing an area in your life? Can I just see your hand? Hold them up there real high. Just hold them up. Look, hands all across this place. We're being honest today. Here's the thing. You need to invite a trusted voice into the area of your life that you've been struggling with. We know in this church family that if you're going to break a cycle, you've got to be willing to build a circle. The way you break a cycle is you build a circle of relationships because there's something about the power of the prayer of agreement. There's something about a cord of three strands that's not quickly broken. There's something about a group of people who came up here during worship and were available to pray that if you just take a few steps over and you say, let's pray in agreement over this. Something happens when we pray. If you do not pray, there are some things that will not have happen in your life. We do not have because we do not pray. You have not because you ask not. There's something about this cycle being broken in the, in the whole aspect of a circle of relationship. And this is why every time we gather, when we conclude, it's going to happen in just a little while. I believe Pastor Chris, you closing today, is going to come up at the conclusion and he's going to commission us out and we're going to go. And when everybody goes that way, if you've been touched in your heart and you know God's dealing with you about an area in your life, then don't go that way. The prayer team will be up here just for a few moments in case anybody else wants to come. And I say, while the mass is going out, if that's you today, then come forward and let us pray with you in agreement. So come on, let's just allow the Lord to do what he wants to in our hearts. Would you just open your heart to him? Lord, we invite you to help us You're taking us to a new level. And today we've talked about Gideon and how we disqualify ourselves because we're in touch with our dysfunction. But you're looking at us through the eyes of faith because you're in touch with our destiny. So forgive us, Lord, where we've negated the things, Lord, that you don't want us to negate within ourselves. And today, Lord, we've addressed this whole issue of Samson and the, the struggle that goes on in every one of our lives. And I pray, God, that you would help us to understand that you want us to be free to be liberated in Jesus' mighty name. So just with heads bowed, eyes closed, if you're here and you are, and let's call it what it is, you have given yourself to the sin of self-disqualification. We need to understand that's what it is. We're we're calling God a liar when we're saying, no, what you're saying to me is not true. That's just wrong. We want to repent of that today. If that's you, slip up your hand. I want to pray for you today. The disqualification that's gone on in your life. Lots of hands. Just hold it for a moment. Okay, you can, you can put those down. You're here and you say, you know, I just have to say there's this pattern of iniquity, this pattern of sin, pattern in my life, and I know God is addressing it today. And I know I asked a while ago for you to hold up your hand, but, but in this moment of prayer, I want to ask you again, just lift up your hand if that's you. God's addressing a pattern in your life. Just hold them up there, a cycle. It's being broken in Jesus' mighty name. So we agree in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, Father, I thank you for the wisdom and the guidance that comes as we look into your word and we allow your Holy Spirit to illuminate everything about what you desire to accomplish. And we want to surrender, Lord, our own self-disqualification. We want to surrender our own perpetual sin patterns that we would invite people in to help break the cycle by building a circle. 
So we look to you in Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' name. Just last question before we go. You're here and you say, you know, I've not given my life to Christ. You really can't defeat the enemy if you're not on the king's side who's already defeated him. And that begins by a personal relationship with Christ. If you're here and you say, you know, I've never given my life to Christ. I'd like to do that right now. Just slip up your hand. Anybody at all. I want to start this journey. My relationship with the Lord. Well, come on, let's declare it then. Why don't you all look up here and let's just say, this king who's worthy, this Jesus who came, positioned us where we're not fighting for victory in Christ we're fighting from victory that's who we are that's who you are why don't you give him celebration of praise right now he's the king of kings and the lord of lords we honor you lord god